Um, thanks for joining us. This is episode seven of the uh, Private Capital Talent Series, and we have uh, Michael Stellwagen of PKF O'Connor Davies, Ryan Berger of PFA uh, Solutions, and we're here to talk about arming emerging managers for private capital uh, 2.0. And um, for those of you coming on this uh, coming on with us today, uh, you'll see on the bottom uh, right you should see the opportunity to ask questions. At the end, we're going to um, tackle uh, some of those, and uh, we'd love um, anyone joining us. We'd love your feedback um, afterwards about this and other um, past um, webcasts. And uh, stay tuned for more. Like I said, we have uh, Isabel Shreves of Drive Capital coming up on the fourteenth. So let's get started. Uh, Mike, tell us about uh, you and PKF. Sure. Uh, well, uh, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, great to be here and appreciate the opportunity to, to speak with all of you. So uh, I'm Mike Stellwag. I'm a partner in the financial service uh, advisory practice of PKF O'Connor Davies, where I lead our emerging manager practice. Uh, I started my career at uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers. Um, you know, for those of you that may be of, of my vintage, it was actually uh, Coopers and Libran, which was part of the big eight. Um, and then I spent uh, 25 years as a chief financial uh, officer for several emerging managers in both private equity uh, and the hedge fund space. And you know, really how I got uh, that part of my career started was, um, you know, while I was at PwC, I had several, um, you know, financial uh, you know, management clients. And this is back in the days, again, you know, date myself a little bit, uh, you maybe walk on the the trading floors and there was uh you know it could be some yelling and screaming i remember one case there was actually some paper being thrown around and uh the movie wall street had just coming out around and so i, I didn't necessarily know what was going on at the time but uh, i said whatever's happening there i i'd like to uh you know look at getting a job there um and so i was actually very fortunate to be hired uh by larry fink who actually at the time was emerging manager, uh, you know, himself as he was launching, uh, you know, his firm BlackRock. And it was really for me personally, the great, you know, first building block, uh, you know, of a successful career, you know, in finance, uh, you know, from, um, you know, from there, uh, I went on to uh, help launch, uh, you know, several other emerging managers, um, one being David Stockman, Richard Breeden, Doug Bronstein and Jane Parsons to help launch, you know, their funds to, uh, you know, really from basically sheets of paper to, uh, you know, multi-billion dollar, uh, you know, organizations. Um, so really, you know, how did I get to PKF O'Connor Davies? Um, you know, I think we all at, at different points in our career uh, have reflection points, you know, that occurred to me probably about, uh, you know, a year or so ago. And, you know, I looked at, um, you know, just really examining what I've done throughout my career. And if I was going to do something else, you know, what would that actually be? And what would that look like? And so, you know, we all acquire different skills in a career. And so, you know, what do you want to do with them? And so, you know, I thought about, you know, hanging my own shingle up, uh, you know, doing a consulting firm really in the capacity of just utilizing, again, the skills, you know, that I've acquired in just a different capacity. Um, you know, some of uh, my former colleagues, we talked about starting a firm together and then actually happened to be approached by PKF O'Connor Davies at that time with, um, you know, opportunity to help them, you know, further build out their financial services, uh, you know, advisory practice. You know, I've been here uh, a little bit, well, a little bit under a year at this point. And, you know, candidly, I, I honestly could not be happier with that decision. It's, um, 
it's really just been terrific to, um, you know, like all of us, you build up a network of former colleagues, just people you've known throughout your career, uh, really to just uh, help them in, in a different capacity to, um, you know, many, a few of them have actually former colleagues have launched their own fund. And so, you know, I'm helping them, you know, really build out their infrastructure and, and get their fund, you know, up and running. So it's just really been uh an exciting time for me to just use the skill sets, uh, you know, that I've acquired in, in just a different capacity. I'm so slow with the mute button. Thank you. That is fantastic. And um, so then with that range of experience, um, what is, what are emerging managers seeing now that's different? Larry Fink, that's, that's it's fantastic to think of Larry Fink as an emerging manager. Uh, but if he was emerging manager today, <laughs> Um, yeah, we're, we're celebrating the first hundred million under management. If you can imagine that. Okay. Um, so, so what, 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 how, how things have changed and, and especially recently? Yeah, I would say, you know, look, uh, it's the short answer is, you know, a lot has changed during that period of time. I think if you, you know, go back a little bit and you look at the, you know, explosion, uh, really in new tech venture and, business ventures when the cloud, um, you know, with AWS, you know, bringing down all the cost of business infrastructure, you know, like servers and, you know, the ability really with automation, right, it was able to speed up a lot of processes that, uh, you know, things that were be being done manually, um, it just really helped improve, um, you know, those industries. And that wave now is uh, is happening within private capital. You know, it's been going on for for a period of time now, but I would think it's 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 really been accelerating over the last uh, you know couple couple of years. And so, yeah, I would say as we all probably know that the fundraising environment can uh, really still is quite challenging at the current time. Uh, although it can be challenging, I think really uh, you know quite frankly all different types of points in time. But the tools available for um, you know for fundraising for you know funded counting and you know, carrying compensation analytics um, are really within reach now for emerging managers. And quite honestly, you know, in the earlier days, I wish the tools, um, you know, that we have at our disposal really, uh, you know, were around kind of in the earlier days, um, you know, when I was kind of going through the ranks and it really just things that just weren't possible, uh, you know, to do either timely or to do it all really um, are, are now, uh, you know, available. And, um, you know, just kind of a few anecdotal you know, points on that, you know, when I first uh, joined BlackRock, uh, you know, the, the primary responsibilities I had was to build out the financial and operational infrastructure of the firm. And um, I actually had two offices. One was uh, I had PCs in it. And so, um, you know, what we had had to do is we did consolidated financial statements. I literally took, you know, a floppy disk, and some of you may not know what a floppy disk is of the younger generation, but you know, had to go to each uh, computer to to do the consolidations and, and all of that, and and you know that was just um, a very tasking process and, and and prone potentially for errors and and all of those types of things. You know, fast forward a little bit when when I ran Breed and Partners, um, you know that was a period of time where you had you know in-house server racks and. We had to tape backups. Um, I remember just you know every week changing the tapes. I'd have to bring them then to our vault and you know uh, and exchange them. And then also um, you know that was the time I forget which hurricane it was, but uh, it wasn't Katrina, but uh, Hugo, one of the big ones. But our office in Greenwich, Connecticut, got hit really bad. 
uh, you know, we had water damage, um, you know, the servers got fried, we were, um, you know, offline for, for over a week, uh, our traders had to trade manually, they kept the, the trade records, uh, you know, in notebooks, and, um, you know, that was obviously a very difficult period of time, and so, now you look today with the evolution of where we are, a lot of those things now with, um, you know, the cloud and technology can be done, uh, you know, in those means. And so you you really don't have those same worries or, or needs. And so it's really, you know, from my vantage point, uh, you know, kind of starting again from a floppy disk perspective to, you know, where we are in the cloud, it, it really has been uh, just a, an unbelievable transformation and just allows all of us in that seat to just be more effective, uh, you know, in our roles. So you're saying, if I hear you correctly, um, Larry Fink might have started in a period, in an earlier cycle of of private capital's uh, maturation to where it is today, but with the emerging managers that you're working with, there are more tools for them to distinguish themselves in a what some might feel as a saturated market. Yeah, absolutely. And just you know, if you look at all the tools that are at the disposal, you know, today it is. Um, you know, clients that I'm working for, as an example, um, you know, they will, with the outsourcing and the software is they really can focus on the front office and trading and they don't have to worry about, you know, physical space, um, you know, again, having servers in house um, and they can just, you know, utilize the tools that are there now to really uh, be more effective managers, um, you know, to have, you know, dashboards and KPI metrics really uh, you know, at their fingertips, um, as opposed to, you know, I used to have traders run down to my desk, you know, where are we in this position, you know, I need to know exactly where our exposure is. And so, you know, with the evolution of technology is, you know, traders or the front office executives, uh, you know, can have a dashboard, I've built these out where they have the real time KPIs and can make the decisions that they need to make, uh, you, you know, in real time. So it's, um, uh, you know, it's just great for, you know, firms like ours to advise and help our clients, um, you know, really put all of those types of systems and, um, uh, you know, and analytics, uh, you know, in place. Well, so then uh, I guess a further question, which is, as, as you said, you have, let's say, uh, AWS um, software as a service. Um, I mean, there's things that maybe are seemingly as mundane as, you know, should we be on Teams or Google Workspace and things like that. But private capital, as we all know, I think, yeah. um, it's highly complex, highly nuanced, highly sensitive. Um, and there are things, I think, out there in the market that are sort of professional services with the tech capability. And then there's software. And uh, as much as tech investing has become a major theme in private equity, um, sometimes you need some help to sort of understand how to implement it or how to manage it or to manage it for you. Can you tell me more about those sorts of questions you get? Yeah, so I think um, it's really a topic that we get asked a lot about is there, to your point, uh, there really is a, is a lot out there. And I think for for firms like Ryan and, and, and mine, the question is always, okay, there's a lot of products out there. Uh, I know it can do, you know, really everything uh, that I needed to do, but you know, the implementation can be, uh, you know, sometimes problematic. There could be a lot involved with configuring it. And, um, you know, I think all of us will know, you know, sometimes trying to get somebody on the phone as an example can be, you know, problematic. But when you engage 
uh, you know, directly with a consultant, uh, you know, that has experience in, in those types of things. We can really, um, you know, advise an impl implementation plan, uh, you know, that'll that'll meet their needs. Because to your exact point, I mean, there's uh, everything needs to go uh, smoothly in order to get those KPIs and metrics, but you really need a team uh, that can help you implement all that uh, infrastructure and, and, and really get it up, uh, you know, get it up to speed. Um, I'm a big believer in that. Um, uh, before this, anyway, I'll tell you later about a home solar program that uh, and a contractor that could uh, do with some um, <clears throat> automation and communications. Um, so Ryan, let me pivot to you. Um, there's various types of uh, service providers helping private fund managers with carried interest, which is um, something that PFA is especially focused on, co-investment compensation platforms. Um, can you sort of describe from your perspective at PFA the various models? Sure, sure. I guess I guess first off, I will say that I am old enough to know what floppy disks are, but but not old enough to. Um, I guess have entered this industry when Larry Fink was only at hundred million dollars at BlackRock. So um, you know, it's uh, interesting experiences from from Michael. Uh, you're you're right, Chris. There's a lot going on on the carried interest compensation co-investment side, where private capital firms are starting to dip their toes into using service providers for the management of carried interest co-investments compensation. There's three models that we've start started to see evolve. The first is using a fund admin to do front-to-back processing and reporting compensation, carried interest, co-investments. The second is the software model. That's where we come in. We have a product called FirmView where firms license the tool to manage all their carried interest allocations, vesting schedules, compensation arrangements, really full, full, full gamut of reporting for the carried interest compensation function. The third option is a hybrid where firms are using software products like ours, FirmView, and then service providers like PKF O'Connor or, or other companies to do all the day-to-day -day processing, the heavy lifting uh, from a labor perspective. Uh, so we're, we're certainly excited to see how the private capital market has, has evolved. Uh, certainly um, products, service providers weren't doing this 15 years ago when I, when I started working in the space. You're on mute, Chris. <laughs> and the story of my pandemic. Um, so, so what are some of the benefits and challenges if you look at those three? So on the, on the servicing side, the pros are you can outsource your processes. When I was doing management consulting in a prior life, whenever we'd meet with CFOs, a big topic of conversation was how much can we outsource and who can we outsource to? So we would map out all the functional areas at a private, app, a private capital firm and then tag which areas were right to outsource. And I'm sure Michael has, has his views and how things have evolved over time, but we would go through the list and say, you can outsource this, you can't outsource that. With the carried interest and compensation area, it's a great area to, to outsource. However, it comes with a lot of challenges. There's nuances, there's complexities. It's your most sensitive data. So that's that's where the challenges come in with, with that particular model. That's exactly what I wanted to maybe ask about is the if carried interest uh, feels like very politically, you know, sensitive inside an organization, um, data, there's a lot of angst 
as well as maybe enthusiasm wrapped up in it. Um, what have you seen in terms of uh, owning the data and who owns the data? Right now, a lot of our firms, it's, it's usually the CFO, a controller, the COO, they take responsibility. Sometimes the founders, the CEOs are the ones that are managing this data. So from a service provider perspective, they are sometimes unwilling to relinquish full control of it, but sometimes they are. So we've seen both, both models across the board. We might be biased in the, the firms that are coming to us, want to use a system or software vendor, but then still have ownership management of the, the data and the reporting out to their employees. It's, um, that's really the conundrum that we see with our clients. They want to outsource as much as possible, but in this particular function, they, there's sometimes some tricky trickiness. But we, we do have a couple clients where they are outsourcing to a third-party admin to do all the day-to-day -day activities. Uh, and, and would that be a hybrid model? I mean, what would you right, say on a hybrid model? Because that seems like it's kind of the perfect option in many cases. Yeah, so the hybrid model, that's, that's a great, great model. So a handful of our clients are licensing our software, and then they're hiring third-party admins to do all the day-to-day -day activities associated to managing the allocations, if a new joiner comes in, processing that in the system, and then working with us on building out the, the reports. Uh, I would say if I were a private capital firm and I was selecting a provider, make sure to do the due diligence and find a provider that can handle the nuances, the complexities, they know the business because of, because of the, the bespoke nature of how, how creative private capital firms get when it comes to the, the compensation and various incentive plans. But yeah, we've seen that, that model work great where the CFO can find a third party's solution or service provider to be an extension of the team and then separately license the, the software product. So then speaking of sophistication and nuance and understanding uh, the importance of the data, uh, Mike, as a former CFO, um, helping uh, CFOs, helping emerging managers, um, I'm sure in some ways you're counseling your former self um, what, what are you, what are you saying? Uh, given what, what Ryan is saying about the hybrid model, what are you saying to them? What, what, how would you counsel them on decision-making? Yeah, it's, um, again, we, we, the best example is, you know, for first time fund managers that, uh, really have either, you know, have worked at funds where they know just, you know, there were people to do all of these things, right. And, and really not having, um, the direct experience on, what exactly they need, what are the right models, what should they be outsourcing and not. And so, um, you know, the initial kind of, you know, out of the gates is try to outsource as, as much as you can for, you know, they may not have the cost to bring uh, the funds rather than bring somebody on. But I think it kind of starts out for the traditional emerging managers is almost a full outsource. And then it does go into a hybrid model. You know, on Ryan's point, you know, we also at PKF O'Connor Davies, uh, we're a bit unique as an accounting uh, and consulting firm as we actually have a fund administration practice. And um, one of the, you know, kind of two areas um, that we've been asked recently to provide assistance with is, we of course do the traditional fund accounting, NAVREX and all that for the fund itself. But um, we've had a fair number of our clients ask us to do the GP reporting. So, you know, taking, you know, capital account statements for, you know, the, the GPs and uh, doing all different types of financial, you know, analytics. Um, and then more recently, 
um, had actually a very in-depth conversation a few weeks ago with, uh, with a client about uh, what Ryan was talking about earlier on helping them, uh, you know, build out the, um, you know, the vesting model uh, on all the carried interest um, uh, allocations. This one is a little bit complex as they have multiple funds. They've had employees that have left. Uh, they have employees that are only in specific deals. Um, so I think, you know, from a CFO's perspective, I know I personally, um, you know, was always very challenged in that area because they can be very complex. They can be very, um, you know, difficult to even kind of manage in the spreadsheets. And so, um, and typically, as, as we all know, there's been the seat, you know, your the managing partner is coming down to your office asking you, you're telling you rather, you know, I need this data in, in like two minutes type of thing. So, um, you know, tools with, you know, what Ryan is doing um, and having the ability really to have a software product to, uh, you know, be able to put, have those analytics internally um, and, and then produce kind of that metric, uh, you know, on the fly is terrific. And the other ability, too, is you can tailor it to, uh, you know, whoever you want in the organization. It's, it's a good point, Chris, you were raising about, you know, who has access to all this information. Typically, you know, the carried interest information is quite sensitive, so only certain individuals uh, you know, have that. But again, it's 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 a great tool to have real time data for compensation discussions, for um, you know promotions, for incentivizing uh, current employees, you know, in, in bringing on uh, you know new employees as well. So it's an area where we're seeing a lot of uh, interest and a lot of questions. So if I drill down on that further, and I think before the uh, webcast, before we hit the start button. I think you had mentioned um, something about uh, CFOs and strategy. Um, when I at least think of emergent managers, really entrepreneurs, um, they're starting their business because they see a gap in the marketplace and maybe others don't see it. Um, how does what you're articulating or are there any examples, even if they're anonymous of how emergent managers are better able to uh, do something different, find support in terms of fundraising for um, uh, something different, um, given the technologies and the sort of services you're describing. Yeah, I mean, it's a great point. And so what, what I think if, if again, uh, just a historical aspect and, and having done this for so long is, you know, what our role is traditionally as a CFO was, um, you know, call it, you know, it's debits and credits person, right? You were really tasked with preparing financial statements um, and financial matters of, of the firm. And the evolution of a CFO now is is really completely broad. And um, I think it also, you know, it, it's in, it incorporates some aspects of a chief operating officer in, in many firms. And, um, you know, what we've all been talking about, you know, uh, through this uh, webcast is really tools that provide the ability for CFOs, COOs to actually become really, and rightfully so, what they should be is the strategic advisors, you know, of the firm. And so, you know, having, uh, you know, an outsourcing model or, you know, again, all the things that we've been touching upon just allows uh, the, those professionals to really, uh, you know, act in that capacity and, and to be the strategic advisors for, uh, you know, the management of the firm. And look, you know, there's a lot of headwinds now with, you know, what's going on, uh, you know, in the markets and impossible recessionary times and things like that. And, you know, a CFO's role really should be more geared toward the strategic aspect of running a business as really as opposed to the nuts and bolts of, you know, uh, you know, the debits and credits and, you know, is my computer infrastructure 
uh, you know, running correctly and all that. So um, it, it's really just a, a unique time. Uh, again, just being through the evolution of, of really, um, you know, doing all those things uh, earlier on in my career to now actually being, uh, you know, in, in a role uh, where CFOs can be in a role and just be more strategic. So I think it's, it's just, it's been terrific. Yeah. And I think just to back up Michael's point, there's been some surveys that UI has done and says, what are your top priorities as CFO? And then recently it's been investment analytics, technology, CRM, investor relations, support, all of those areas have been at the top. And then core financial activities have really been at the bottom, despite the role as the, or the title of a CFO. So we're definitely seeing that when you look at the data and the surveys that are going on out there. Agreed. On that point, and I'm, we're almost uh, done, but I do have a question um, that's come across. Um, and the question is, what about um, talent gaps on the LP side? Uh, you're talking about the, the GP side and challenges with fundraising, um, but there's been a news report saying that LPs are experiencing um, um, problems with talent capacity that makes it more difficult for them to um, look at more uh, emergent managers. I could certainly speak from my perspective. I mean, I know that from a talent perspective, our firms are all trying to do things to make sure that their employees are happy. Work-life balance, the data that they're getting from, from our system. I would think that from an LP perspective, especially in the US, it's even more challenging to, to find investment professional talent uh, because the, the pay is different, especially on the public pension side where some of them op operate as quasi-government agencies and they can't compete from a talent perspective um, with private equity venture capital firms. So at least having spent time working with, with US pension, public pension funds, there was, there's always been that, that issue where can, you, can a, a large public pension compete and pay the same as a fund of fund or a private equity fund? And, and, and they really haven't historically in the US and I think in Canada, in other countries they, they have, but that's just something I observed from my past role working with a lot of pension firms, as well as having worked with private equity and venture capital companies. Yeah, Ryan, I think you're spot on. Look, you know, I, throughout my career, I've worked with, you know, CalPERS, CalSTRS, many of the large pension plans, and, and, and you're certainly right. I think, um, you know, given the government kind of aspect or, or, or backbone, so to speak, of those institutions, they, they really don't have the pay capacity to um, you know, to pay the top talent what a comparable Wall Street uh, salary would be. And so what I think you, you've seen is, um, you know, more investments in certain, uh, you know, direct investments in private equity and hedge funds. And I think the shift has, has changed slightly. I, I know, I think it's CalPERS, uh, I might be wrong which one, but has instituted uh, a different type of pay metric for some of their uh, managers. And so we're, they're starting to see see more of an allocation of direct investments. Um, so, you know, I know the funds that I worked with, co-investment was always big, but um, you've seen reductions in some of these larger, uh, you know, pension funds on allocating to PE and, and, and hedge funds as they're looking to do more, you know, in-house. And, and really how they've been able to do that, I think, is really twofold. Is one, you know, the point Ryan's talking about is different 
you know, compensation metrics, you know, to get top tier talent. But then also as, as part of this discussion is really, you know, the pension plans have been a benefit too of the evolution of technology and software. So they have more tools at, they dis at their disposal than they did 10 years ago. Um, and then the ability to attract, uh, you know, um, higher tier talent is just really a combination for them to really do more direct and they have the capacity to do direct as opposed to going, uh, you know, out to managers. Uh, I've got a second question here, which is um, <clears throat> with the news and um, a follow-up from FTX, um, do you see um, a more difficult environment for either emergent managers or new uh, investing teams? Um, you know, it's it's obviously a hot topic. What I think you're going to see from this, and there's um, a proposal out with the S by the SEC now on kind of, you know, the outsourcing and, and taking a... Um, uh, you know, harder look at, at uh, you know, diligence and things like that. Look, you know, personally, I think it's, um, I've always done diligence on all of our, uh, you know, third-party uh, providers and things like that. I, I think, um, quite frankly, uh, you know, in some instances, I think there was a blind eye to a lot that was going on at FTX. It was a lot of hype and wanted to be part of it. So I think what you're going to see now is just a further, um, you know, process of, of doing diligence on your third party uh, providers and, and really making sure that they're doing what they're saying. Um, and, and, and as you as a, as a manager are, are checking the boxes that you've done that proper diligence and, um, you know, don't get caught up in, in the hype and all that. But, you know, I think uh, FTX really will, will open the eyes for, uh, you know, a lot of individuals just in terms of taking a, a much harder look, um, you know, at uh, doing diligence. And then again, if the proposal with the SEC uh, you know, comes about, that'll certainly uh, add emphasis to to doing more uh, in that regard. Be a follow-up question on the SEC itself, actually. However, um, um, we're at the half hour. And um, um, so I'd like to thank um, both of you. Thank you, uh, Michael, for joining us. And uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us. Um, we'll have uh, a recording of this that we can share with you. And for those that had uh, additional questions, uh, we'll take those in and maybe um, maybe uh, uh, Mike or Ryan respond directly. And I think there might be um, some things happening from an event perspective um, that uh, uh, we can be in touch possibly about. So thank you very much, everybody. Really appreciate it. See you next thank week. Thank you, everybody. Bye, everyone.